Friends, uh, we're going to start just a quick mini-series, so I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Um, there are three chapters in 2 Thessalonians, and so maybe you'll find your way there and you'll know how to return there for the next couple of weeks. Um, 2 Thessalonians in the New Testament, it's one of those ones that sometimes you need the table of contents to look up. When, you, when you're talking about Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then turning over to Thessalonians, if you're looking at books that have people's names like Timothy, Titus, Philemon, or John, you're a little bit too far to the end of the book. You've got to trace back a little bit to get to 2 Thessalonians. Now, there's um, two letters written to the church at Thessalonica, to the Thessalonian people. And for the next three weeks, we're going to look at one chapter a week of 2 Thessalonians. And so if it seems like a lot to read or too much to listen to, just remember, we're breaking it up into chunks, whereas when this letter would have first been written and would have been sent to the church, to the people, the Thessalonian church, they would have read the whole letter out loud. It would have been read to them all in one sitting, and then they'd probably draft a response to send back with the messenger to Paul and Timothy and Silas. So if one chapter seems like a lot, I mean, but it's actually not that long of a letter. You could sit down this afternoon and read the whole thing through. And to know that this letter would have been read and heard the same way we hear it together as a community. Though maybe in smaller households, those with larger houses would invite people to come and hear what word was sent from friends in a different place. Why 2 Thessalonians for these few weeks? Well, 2 Thessalonians, and really other, most letters in the New Testament, they have something important in common with us. This letter was written to the church um, in the same theological time that we are in. After Christ's resurrection, the resurrection being the climax of Christ's first coming, the first time Jesus came to the world, the resurrection was the climax of the whole thing. And then after his resurrection, his ascension ended his first coming. And we're waiting, just as the Thessalonians were waiting, for Christ's second coming, for his return. So we live in the joy of the resurrection, of knowing that the victory has been won, that Christ has defeated sin and death on the cross and rose again triumphant from the grave. This is what we celebrate in Easter, this joy. And we're waiting for the second coming of Christ when he shall return and make all things new. And it would seem in the midst of that waiting that there are a few things that Paul writes to the Thessalonian church that should be written to us today too. There's still, even though we live in joy and we live in hope, there's still hardship. This is true for us today. We have joy and we have hope and we have hardship and struggle. They live in between great truths of Christ's revelation. And in the midst of that truth, there's also confusion and leading astray. And we'll get more into that next week with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We live in that in-between time of knowing Christ's resurrection and being able to, to stake our faith and our lives on that and in that hopeful anticipation of what is to come. But you know, sometimes life doesn't seem very fair and it seems like living in between these two good things seems harder than it should be. And this is part of the theme that comes out in 2 Thessalonians especially. And so there's a lot of references to prayers, a lot to encourage prayer. And there is an ownership of that life has been hard and that sometimes things have been confusing. And in all of this, 
we still cling to the joy of Christ's resurrection and to the hope that we have in Christ's return. And so as we spend a few weeks in this letter, I hope that as we remember that it was written a couple thousand years ago to a different place in a different time, that this letter is also written to us and for us today through God's Holy Spirit. And so at this time, let's pray together and ask for the Holy Spirit to open the scriptures to us. God, we come to you today grateful. Grateful that you can speak to us your truth. Grateful that though we find ourselves in a time and a place that our gospel hope is timeless and is meant not for one place but for all places, for you have redeemed this whole world that you so dearly loved. So we pray now that you open the scriptures to us. Open our hearts and our minds. May your Holy Spirit move throughout us that we may connect, that we may hear your voice today, that whatever pieces of this letter stand out to us, that you may breathe life into us through these words. And in all of them, in every word that we read, may we be pointed back to you. And may it give us the perseverance that we need to live between the time of your resurrection and in the time of waiting for you to return. This we pray in your holy name, O Christ. Amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to start at the beginning. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your, your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My third grade teacher, Mrs. Pettit, um, though I was not in a Christian school, she was a devout Christian woman of great faith and of a lot of compassion. And I remember on the first week of third grade, some of those memories that just stick with you, 
I remember Mrs. Pettit explaining to us that there are two kinds of boasting or bragging, and there's a good kind and a bad kind. The bad kind of bragging or boasting, of course, as Mrs. Pettit explained to us, is when you brag about yourself, how great you are, how, how maybe you're the fastest or the smartest or the coolest. I do remember in third grade, my classmates bragging that they had more Beanie Babies than me, right? Because those were really popular back then. In fact, I even remember a club when we had indoor recess for weather. Um, I had two and uh, some of my classmates said, oh yeah, you have to have three or more Beanie Babies to play in this group. Oh man, exclusion starts early. Anyways, there's the bad kind of bragging where we're more important than others, we're putting ourselves above someone else. And often bragging comes from insecurity, right? It's somebody who's insecure, who's trying to overcompensate and prove that, that they're worth it, that they're somebody worth bragging about. But either way, regardless of motivation, that's the bad kind of bragging. And Mrs. Pettit explained to us that there's a good kind of boasting, a holy boasting, if you will, a good kind that she was going to do. After she told us that bragging was wrong, she said she was going to do it. But the good kind, of course, was this. She told us that she would boast to the other teachers and to her family about what a great class we were. She didn't know us yet. We only had one week in the school. Although in a small town, you kind of figure out like, yeah, she already knew like everybody and their parents. But she was going to boast about us. She was going to tell that she told us that she would tell the other teachers in the school that she had the best class this year. There was no pressure on what we were to do, and she didn't tell us what she was going to brag about yet. But she said that as the year went on, she would find all of the right reasons that she could tell all of her friends, all of the other teachers, all of her family about what a great class we were and why. So in a way, she set the bar really high. We had to be a class that was worthy, boast, was worthy of being boasted about. But she didn't tell us how. We were simply going to live into it, and she would find the reasons to brag us up. That we were somebody worth talking about, that we were special to her, that we were loved. There is a holy boasting that is elevating others. And we find this in Philippians, where we, we think of others more highly of ourselves than of ourselves. This is a holy boasting. And Mrs. Pettit, in third grade, instilled this idea that it is a good thing to celebrate other people, to boast them up, to brag them up a little bit, and tell others about how great they are. We find this holy boasting in verse 4 of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, where Paul says, Therefore, among God's churches, we boast, we boast, we're bragging you up, Thessalonians, about what? About your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. The boasting does not come from the absence of suffering. The boasting does not come from, oh wow, look how good they have it. They must have done something really good that God would make their life so good. The boasting does not come from the absence of struggle, but rather the boasting that Paul has of the Thessalonians is that they continue to have faith and perseverance in the midst of hardship. It is not the absence of suffering that we think that they did something right that they should be boasted about. It is that in the midst of life's hardships, 
in the midst of things that they didn't expect, that the Thessalonians thought that Jesus was coming back like next week, and so that they weren't going to have to endure anything difficult between now and then, but they encountered a ton of hardship. And this is where Paul's boasting happens, is he boasts about their perseverance. He boasts about their faith, that, that there is something impressive about them. But now, before we think that this boasting is just on people, we need to ground ourselves first in how the letter starts and opens. If you were following along or just listening, you might have thought that there is a repetition that, uh, that we said by mistake that we're repeating things, but it's intentional that in verse 1 and 2, we have to the church of Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this chapter ends with the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is repeated over and over again that the Thessalonian church is in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, that this is where they are, that this is who they are, and this is where the boasting comes from. It is not just about who they are, though they show a tremendous amount of faith and perseverance, but that all of this is grounded in who Christ is and that the Thessalonians belong to Jesus. And so in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Thessalonian church finds reasons that Paul would boast about to persevere under trial and to have faith even in the midst of persecution. Maybe the thing that strikes me as we get into this letter is it seems like the Thessalonian church has a lot of grit. They are enduring. They are not falling away. And as verses 8 through 10 kind of warn us that, that turning away or falling away, you don't want to miss the glorious return of Christ. That, that, that there's a cutoff point that you don't want to be behind on. But yet, they have grit while they endure what they endure. And that they were surprised because the error in the Thessalonian church is the expectation that Christ would be back a lot sooner. And if they were to know that we are reading this letter today, some of them would be shocked that it's been a thousand, two thousand years, and yet Christ has not returned. Because some of them thought it'll be like next week. So you only live once, go have a good time, nothing bad's going to happen because Jesus is going to be back here next weekend. But they persevere, even where they didn't think they would have to. And this is where the holy boasting comes from. That Paul is celebrating that they have grit, but, but as we do celebrate their grit, as we say, you know what, sometimes life is hard and we kind of have to push through. There's perseverance, which is part patience, part endurance. But let's hold on to the fact that their grit is grounded in faith. And so it's not a grit that makes them mean or coarse. It's not a grit that makes them hard people to be around because what is celebrated about them just before the word boast is used is that Paul's saying, credit where credit is due, we need to thank God for you because your faith is growing more and more and the love, the love all of you have for one another is increasing. This is worth boasting about. That, that the Thessalonian church, they've got grit. They're a tough crew and they are banding together to endure the hardships that they're all gonna go through and that they'll face them together and that they will do so while loving one another, that they will embrace and walk alongside of and care for each other. It is grit and it is gentleness. It is perseverance and it is love. And Paul celebrates this about this church. 
And I wonder, not to get ahead, but could we also find what are the ways that we would celebrate North Holland? If you were to write a letter to someone else, Paul is saying, I'm going to tell other people about how great this church is. I wonder what Paul would be writing to the Thessalonians about North Holland. I wonder what kind of holy boasting could be found there. Not the type of boasting that makes us pat ourselves on the back, but the type that makes us give glory to God and say, look what God has done. And as we get further into the letter, we will find that's exactly what the Thessalonian church is doing. In the midst of their many, many prayers, in the midst of the hardships that they are enduring, they have an unwavering, persevering, fixed look on Jesus. And that we might be able to do the same. And while, those, while there are those in the church around the Thessalonians that are trying to pull them away, pull them away from Christ, pull them out of the gospel hope, and probably have all kinds of reasons. If your God is so good, why is this happening? If your Lord is Lord over all the universe, then why is there so much wrong with it? There might have been all kinds of reasons that people were trying to pull the Thessalonians away from the gospel. And yet, somewhere within this faith, which is a gift from God, the Thessalonians are still rejoicing and celebrating and saying, no, I am focused more on what God has done for me. They have the hope of Easter, the first Easter in their hearts. They could say, yep, there's a lot wrong with the world. We're going to endure our, we're going to persevere under hardship. And yet we look to know that what Jesus has already done is where our focus is at. And what can't be taken away from you, even as things are pointed out and there's always hard questions, and I wish we all had a better answer for why do bad things happen? And why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there so much hardship? Shouldn't Jesus already be here by now to fix it all and to wipe every tear from our eyes where there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain? And yet, where the Thessalonian church finds their faith sustained, that they can persevere with their loving grit, is in knowing, well, I don't have an answer for all that, but I know what Jesus has done for me. And that maybe we can think back and wonder, what are the ways in which I have seen God already deliver me from hardship? What are the prayers not only that I offer, but what are the prayers that have been answered? In what ways can I rejoice and say, God has done this for me. God has brought us this far, and I trust in a persevering faith that God will not abandon, that God will not turn away. It's a grit that they have that is worth boasting about, and it's a grit that didn't make them mean. But rather, we find in verse 3, their faith is growing and their love that they have is increasing, and then it's built also on the hope that God is just, because they are looking ahead to Christ's return, to make things right, to fix the things that seem completely unfixable. And this we have, faith, hope, and love, of course, which is 1 Corinthians 13, 13, a theme that Paul uses, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And of course, it's also the verse on that stained glass window, the one with the cross and the anchor um, in that section of the sanctuary. <clears throat> Except then it wasn't faith, hope, and love abide, it was remain, it was faith, hope, and charity abideth. Um, but the same is true. And the hope that we have is that Christ will return and make all things new. And that'll be the big victory. And yet the Thessalonian church probably has to encourage one another to not miss out on seeing the little victories along the way. 
to look at the prayers that are answered in their midst, but that their hope is that God is just, that God's justice is not a scary thing to those that are in Christ, though it should be taken seriously, that, that we don't want to fall away or be led astray, but rather that we want to cling to Christ, that his justness, his justice will in fact be something worth celebrating. Now, there's one thing to be careful about here. And maybe in heaven someday we'll have a conversation with Paul about this. This is one of the things that I'd like to just pick his brain about, of how he was thinking this would play out in verse 6. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. Now, we should be careful about what our expectations are for how that will work. Largely in part, we are trusting that God's justice is bigger than our minds because honestly, when we want people to be paid back trouble for the trouble that they caused us, I find myself getting a little bit petty. For instance, I read the Bible to build up my faith in God, but then in the parent pickup line, I lose my faith in humanity. You know, now next year, uh, both kids at North Holland, it'll be much simpler, no parent pickup lines. And yeah, parents be jealous, right? It'll be just that simple. But oh man, like, I, I just, I don't understand the total lack of competence that exists. Like, there are three vehicle lengths in front of you. Go! And I won't honk because there's children. Like, I don't want to scare people, but like, come on, keep moving. I find myself getting really petty about petty things. And sometimes I think it's a really good thing that I'm not in a truck with a snowplow because I just want to be like, keep moving, keep moving. Like, can we just push a few cars forward? I want to pay back trouble for those who cause trouble for me. And this is the most petty of circumstances. And it really won't make a difference in if we're going to be early or late. We can be petty about what we want people to be paid back for. And occasionally, I might have offered the prayer, God, I hope they get stuck in a traffic jam later this week. Although maybe our prayers, if we have a persevering grit of faith that doesn't make us mean, doesn't make us coarse, is to just pray for safety for those who don't seem to be paying attention. Um, God, may their phone batteries die so that they stop texting so that they'll be safer for everyone. And so that, good heavens, will they pay attention and move this line forward. I'll let that one go for now, but it's alive in me. <laughs> but how do we want God to pay back people trouble for the trouble that they have caused us? As I actually think about human beings, even people that have been in sharp disagreement with or people that have hurt us, I'm cautious to want too much judgment, and this is why, once again, we are not the judge. We don't get to figure out how God's justice will be served out, and that is a good thing because by nature, we are sinful on our own and kind of petty. And if I think about if I want people to be troubled for the trouble that they caused me, well, hold up the mirror, friends, and think I have caused trouble for others as well, and I really hope that I don't have to get paid back for all the trouble that I have caused other people. So I don't know how we plan that this will get worked out, and I'm curious what the Apostle Paul, while he was sitting with Silas and Timothy, writing to the Thessalonian church, to people that they loved, I don't know what he was thinking about exactly how this would work out, but I do know that the same persevering faith with a bit of grit to it was willing to trust that God would make things right, that his justice would sort things out in a way that is far beyond us, 
in a way that is more just than we are capable of being just, and a way that is more righteous than we are capable, no matter how right we think we are. Instead, my attention gets turned a little bit, and this, this is kind of in the, a realm that we should be cautious with, but when I think about punishment being poured out and trouble being paid back, I think more about circumstances. And I don't have a person in mind that I want God to trouble. As much as if I could personify, like, if there is a spirit, a demon that caused all sickness in the earth, man, do I want that demon to be judged and punished. If I could think about if there's some force at work that, that causes the hardships, the things that we have no good answers for, lives that are lost too early, sicknesses that inflict pain. If I could figure out what it was, if there was, and we know all kinds of things today about sickness and immune system and how the brain works and how our body works. And so I, I admire all of that. But if there's something that I could wish could be judged and punished by God, it would be all of the evil forces that cause so much pain in this world that keep our prayer list so long prayers that we offer that don't seem to get a satisfying answer on this side of heaven. I wish there was some judgment and punishment that could be dealt out to that. Maybe you do too. And this is where our hope, our faith and love is what we have right now. And our hope is that God will be just. And on that day that we don't know when it comes, that God will sort things out and that he will make things right in a way that we can't make right. This is all the more reason that our boasting is actually not about us, but that our holy boasting is in God. That we will boast not only of what Christ has already done, that the victory that he won for us is over death and sin in the grave is one that we could not do on our own, and we will brag up Jesus a little bit and boast that Christ is the victor over the grave that we will boast about what Christ has done in our own lives, that we can boast about the ways in which we have seen God at work, that we can celebrate the ways in which God has cared for me, and that can't be disagreed with, that can't be taken away. If only that is the grit of our faith, is to focus on such things, to say, I'm hoping that God will do a lot more in my life and in the life of those people that I love, but this cannot be taken away as the things that I have seen God at work in already and that that hope that God's justice will be good and that God will make things ever so right so that we will boast in Christ. And that in verse 11, that his power, he may bring to fruition every desire for goodness and every good deed prompted by faith. That it's us enacting these things and yet it is the power of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ bringing to fruition every desire for goodness. And I catch myself sometimes not desiring goodness, and not just in the parent pickup line, that's an easy example, but there are times in life where we're not desiring goodness, and that we need God's power within us, something that we can boast about that's beyond us, to say, I want to desire goodness more than I do. How easily we can be led astray to say, I want to desire goodness. And this is the power of God in us, that we might desire goodness and our every deed prompted by faith. Now, if we were to add up our good deeds and bad deeds, 
I don't know if we'd like the scales very much. But what Paul is writing about to the Thessalonian church is our deeds that are prompted by faith. The things that didn't come from us, they didn't originate with us, even if we are the ones with grit and faith and perseverance that follow them through. Every deed that is prompted by faith, where God has led us and called us, and those we don't get to boast about because we can only say, this is what God has done through me. This is what God prompted in me. And so friends, as you go into this week, and as we continue in 2 Thessalonians for a few weeks, I invite you to just wonder about doing some holy boasting. Maybe a good place to start is, who would you boast up? Who would you brag about a little bit? Think of those people that have inspired you, who have been there for you, that you have seen God at work in their lives, and that there is an example of the type of person, the type of Christian that you want to be in them. Who would you boast up a little bit with a little bit of holy boasting? And how would you boast about North Holland? In what ways would you write a letter to someone else and say, here's what I celebrate? And yes, we are a part of this congregation, but also Mrs. Pettit was a part of Room 33 in DeMott Elementary School. How would we brag up our own class a little bit, making sure that it's not actually about us, but it is about what God is doing in, among, around, and through us? How would you boast about this place? And particularly in that where prayer holds up the mirror for us a little bit, if there's the things that we wish we could boast about but we can't, that might be where our desires for goodness and our deeds prompted by faith are being called to be put into action, is to work towards the things that we wish we could boast about. Also, something to be careful of and cautious with, but sometimes needed, is that we can get down on ourselves pretty easily, that we can think lowly of ourselves, that we can be our own worst critic, that we can be a little too harsh with ourselves. And I know that this is, comes from a good place, but also can be dangerous that we're often coaching people applying for jobs, like you're gonna have to brag about yourself a little bit. You're gonna have to boast about your abilities. I wonder, how would someone else boast about you? And if you're not sure how that would work, I'd ask a trusted friend. But how would someone else boast about you? Is there ways in which you think other people have seen God at work in your life? I don't know how I would exactly write that out, but it might be one piece to worth, worth wondering about because it turns once again that it's not about us, but finding the ways in which we boast that God has been at work within us. And that in those moments of goodness where deeds were prompted by faith, that we saw a picture of exactly who we wish we always could be and that we can hold that up and hold on to it and say, God, help me to always be that person, the person that I long to be with that faith and perseverance and that gentle grit in all of the hardship of life that we go through. And in all of this, boast of Christ, that in our prayers, we brag about what Jesus has done, even as we ask for him to do more, that we boast of Christ in our lives, that we boast of his victories in us, and that all of this holy boasting may be part of our prayers, and that prayer may be not just our last resort for the Thessalonians when things were going horribly wrong, that then they started to pray, and that it won't be our first resort that we stop with, that, okay, we said a prayer, nothing happened, we'll have to do something different 
but that prayer may be our first and our last resort, and it doesn't stop in between. That when you face hardship, prayer is your first resort, and it continues until your last resort, and everything in between. And sometimes to keep praying like that, it takes a little bit of perseverance and faith and grit, and these can be gifts from God. Let's pray. God, help our boasting to be holy. Help our boasting to point our attention towards you, Jesus, of your love for us, of the victories that you have won, and that every time that we falter, every time our feet are unsteady beneath us, every time our soul feels that it's out in the waves, that in those moments we may boast again of your resurrection, that we may boast again of the great and glorious day when you shall return, that we may look back over our lives and boast once more about how you have been at work in our life and that that cannot be taken away. God, may this boasting point us back to you and give us exactly the perseverance that we need to face whatever trial and hardship that we have that takes some endurance to get through. Make our boasting holy, and in so doing, may you lead us in that desire for goodness that we too might be a little bit more holy, a little bit more refined by you, a little bit more cleaned up in spirit by your Holy Spirit. And this we pray in the name of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.